0: To be with you today. Hey, I think it's been probably a year, right, since the lockdown, about a year this weekend. And um, can I just say, you guys have been amazing, not only with your generosity, as Julian was mentioning, but with engaging in church. And none of us wanted to do it this way, but you did it. We pivoted, right? The team here pivoted. They made our underground into a studio. They did what they could do. And so I just have to commend you for actually doing that, for staying engaged in church, because I know there were moments when you were like, I don't want to do this. And you know what? I had those same moments. But the time is coming when we're going to be able to gather in a room together and worship together. And I'm looking forward to that. Yay! Anybody else? Put your hand up in the chat. Come on, <laughs> get those hands up. Yeah, you know, and I love that you guys engage in the chats. It's awesome. So make sure you do that today. Put smiley faces and confetti because you know, confetti. Um, that's how I roll. But I'm so honored to be here with you. And I just want to thank you for actually taking some time. Whether you're watching it from your phone or with your family, however you're doing it, thanks for engaging in church today. And I'm just going to pray before we get into the word. Father, I thank you so much for. Um, family. And I thank you, God, that you have called us to do life together. And I pray, Father, that as we enter an even new season in church, culture and church life here and around the world, I thank you for your presence, that you're with us, that you will teach us and lead us what it means to build your kingdom today. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, I have... I've, I have learned a lot in the 36 years of being married to Philip. I've learned to love coffee. Actually, I never drank it until I met him, and now it's a problem. I know it's a problem. And I've also learned that men don't really like it when you finish their sentences. I think the ending of mine is really good, but, you know, Philip has a problem with that. But I've also learned a few things about baseball. Go Dodgers! You know, most of you would know, most of you watching would know there are nine innings in a baseball game. There's a pitcher who throws the ball, and the batters try to hit the ball. There's also something in baseball called a complete game. Now, in baseball, what this means is that the same pitcher pitches the entire game, from the first pitch to the last pitch without the benefit of a relief pitcher. One pitcher from beginning to end. Well, in 1876, I know this because I looked up in the baseball almanac, of course I did, there was a guy named Jim Devlin, and he pitched the most complete games, 66. He threw the first pitch and the last pitch in 66 games that season. Now, fast forward in 2019, Lucas Giolotto, who's from the Chicago White Sox, and Shane Bieber from Cleveland had the record for the most complete games. Do you know how many that was? Three. Three. In 2019, out of 160 games, no pitcher in baseball pitched more than three complete games. 140 years ago, when the team manager gave the ball to the pitcher, the expectation was you start the game, and you're going to finish it. They were expected to finish it. And now today, we pay pitchers bazillions of dollars, but we don't expect any of them to finish a game. And now if the pitcher starts to do badly, we just call in the relief pitcher. Now, I started thinking, there are probably some areas in life where having a reliever would make things easier. right? In marriage, you're having a hard day. So the wife says, hmm, I'm going to call in the relief husband (laughs) because you're driving me crazy, right? Or your children are being like especially challenging. And come on, in quarantine, was it not really challenging, right? And so you go, you know, I'm going to go to the bullpen and call in the relief parents because I'm leaving, right? And then being a Christian, sometimes being a Christian can be hard. So you go, I'm going to call in the relief Christian because I want to take a break. But you know, in reality... In reality, life and certainly life as a Christ follower doesn't actually work that way. It's not about starting, it's about finishing. Right. Let's take a look at this verse. In Philippians 1.6, the apostle Paul is writing this. He says, I am convinced and confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect and complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, the time of his return. So, what this says to me is that God not only throws out the first pitch in your life, He's the finisher. Yeah. Now, the first thought in this verse is really the important one because, see, Paul doesn't say, I'm convinced that you started a good work in you, and so you'll be faithful to complete it because you didn't start anything. God did. He's the one who created the world with the word. With, he delivered Israel from Egypt, Esther from genocide. He's the one who parted the Red Sea. He's the one who opened blind eyes and healed the lepers and made the lame walk. He's the one who calmed the stormy sea and raised the dead. He keeps his promises. And you know what? He came to earth for you and for me. He spared nothing in his search for you. For you. He sent his son, his Holy Spirit, and his angels after you. You don't belong to him today because of chance or an accident or some random stroke of fate. You are his because he did not give up his search until he found you. And we can rest actually knowing that. See, and God, that verse tells us God is at work. He's at work in you. You didn't start yourself. You didn't make your body. You didn't design your genetic structure. You didn't create your gifts. You didn't convict yourself of sin. You didn't draw yourself to God. He drew you to himself. Now the apostle Paul, who wrote the letter to the Philippians, he knew, he knew it was God who did this and God who continued to do the work in him because Paul had been a self-righteous murderer before his encounter with Christ. Now the work that God did in him was something called sanctification. And that's a church word, right? Everybody turn to whoever you're standing next to and say sanctification. (laughs) Now there are two kinds of sanctification. First, sanctification simply means set apart for God and his purpose. And that happens in an instant. When we call on the name of Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus, that happens in an instant we're forgiven and now we're set apart for a very different purpose. And second, sanctification is a progressive process of growing in my spiritual maturity. It's shaping my desires and affections and that's entirely dependent on the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's look. Another verse in Philippians, Philippians 2 verse 12 and 13. And this is from the Amplified Translation. It says, so then my dear ones, Brothers and sisters, just as you have always obeyed my instructions with enthusiasm, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation that is cultivated, bring it to full effect, actively pursue spiritual maturity with awe-inspired fear and trembling, using serious caution and critical self-evaluation. It's not you evaluating anybody else. Just thought I'd throw that out there for free. Self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Christ. For it is not your strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work that is strengthening, energizing, and creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. Now, Paul wrote that verse to the church, This wasn't written to unbelievers. It wasn't written to those who had not called on the name of Jesus because to use that text on unbelievers would be very confusing because they can't work out their salvation because they don't have a salvation to work out. The call for the unbeliever is simply to call on the name of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul wrote this, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through. That is, separate you from profane and vulgar things, make you pure and whole and undamaged, consecrated to him, set apart for his purpose, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete and be found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Okay, so I've read some big verses here. And the question is, do... Do we work, or does God work to bring about our sanctification? Yes. The answer to that question is yes. We work, and God works. See, because without God's work of grace, our efforts would be entirely futile. But God calls us to cooperate with him. Therefore, we work toward the same goal of conforming to the image of Christ. It's a partnership between me and the Spirit of God. So in that verse 12, he says, work out your own salvation. And man, I have found that to be a mouthful, (laughs) right? That's a very challenging task because, I mean, it just takes so much energy and attention. But what does it mean to work out your own salvation? Because, come on, Holly, I thought we were saved by grace and not of works. Well, let me just tell you, the works don't save you. They simply cooperate in faith with the works of God in your life. A common mistake that so many people make is they think salvation by grace means I just become passive. No, the grace of God teaches us to actively pursue sanctification. Great Grace is unmerited favor from God. You did nothing to earn it. But it is not a stale, abstract thing. It is active and powerful and alive. It is the divine influence of the Holy Spirit in our soul. So in Philippians 2.13, when it says God is working in you, he's working in you, that's talking about the active influence of Grace. Grace empowers our willing and our doing. One time in, in when Paul was writing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians, he said, his grace toward me was not in vain. I mean, it was given to him to do something. That is another church word, justification. And it's hard to talk about sanctification without at least mentioning justification. And justification is what Jesus did for us. In a moment, we were forgiven, cleansed. It's a done deal. Justification is instant. It's immediate. But it's after that moment that the process of sanctification begins. The work of God's spirit in us. Sanctification is progressive. It's being changed into the image of Christ. Now we have all done things, and we've all had things done to us. And both of those shape our worldview, shape how we see God. And so the process of sanctification has to start with surrender. It's when I say, the old Holly has died. I, the old Holly was, was crucified with Christ. She's forgiven, she's it's done. And now the new self arises. Now we begin to work out our salvation. See, sanctification is set apart from sin and set apart to God. You have to know who you are before you know what to do. It's position before function. Yeah. See, God sees us. He's, God sees us as set apart for him. So we, we have to begin to see ourselves that way. God sees you as set apart set apart for him. So I'm asking you to start to see yourself that way. How I see myself will establish the foundation of victory or defeat in my experience. Sanctification is the process of breaking the power of sin over me. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul also wrote this. He says, we walk by faith. We walk, what that means is, We walk by what God says. We walk by what God says, not by what we feel, not by what our culture tells us, but we walk by what God says. And what God says is surrender to me. John 17, Jesus prayed this or said this. He said, when he's praying to God, he says, sanctify them, talking about you and me, sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart for your purposes. Make them holy. Holy. Your word is true. So Jesus is praying for you and me that we would be sanctified, understand that we have been set apart to live this magnificent purpose of building his kingdom. So let me just paint a picture of what that looks like, perhaps in a practical way. Okay, so I have up here a door and I'm just gonna walk through this side. Hi, okay. So let's say right here, Right here is the position and the, uh, the place of someone who doesn't know God, right? Let's call her Sally, right? Sally is a little bit of a mess, maybe. She was abused by people who should have loved her, should have cared for her. So she's wounded in her soul, broken in her soul, hurting in her soul. And so because of that, there are some behaviors that come. And so let's say Sally is addicted, addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, to numb the pain. And then let's say she weighs, she's also addicted to food, so maybe she weighs 700 pounds. And, and then she's kind of confused about sex. And so she just sleeps with any person, any, any man that she can find. She's just sleeping with him. She has no boundaries there. And she's angry, And she's bitter, she's hateful, she cusses a lot. (laughs) She's a mess, hurting. And you know what? Some brave person invites her into their world, maybe takes her for coffee, and introduces her to the one who can cleanse her, to the one who can forgive her. So here's Sally. All the stuff that's on her life right the the, the, the sexual dis, you know brokenness, the addictions, right the pain, the, the bad words, all the stuff that 's her and then someone introduces her to Jesus, and in a moment, she steps through this door. Now, she is a cleansed, forgiven person. But did you notice this stuff didn't just go away? Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing. God loves Sally right here. He doesn't love her anymore right here. He loves her the same, the same. But now for her begins the process called working out your salvation. Now begins the process of sanctification, She's got all of this stuff on it. And sometimes this process, sometimes this process involves maybe letting go of some things, right? So Hebrews 12 says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what, you stepped through the door with. But I know something, Mm -hmm. because none of us were perfect, right? We all stepped through the door with something. And so when when you begin this process, this is just my opinion. But I think perhaps what God begins to deal with first is maybe what will kill you. Because I think God wants us to live to fulfill his plan for our life. And so maybe he begins to talk to us about what's going to kill us. And I don't know, in our society today, perhaps it's a toss up, what'll kill you. But let's just say he begins to talk to Sally about the drugs. Now, how does he do that? Does he send to I don't think so. But maybe she's this, she starts to read her Bible and she learns some things about who she is. And then maybe she goes to church and, and she meets somebody and they talk about getting free from addiction and Wow, she would never thought that that was a problem, and but maybe she starts to realize maybe it is, and maybe she needs help, and so she begins to take the step, and now she's stepping through another door, right? So she steps through another door, and that's gone, right? So if we could have had a series of doors up here, you're getting the idea. So every part of this process is every time you're stepping through another door, right? And then maybe now she it's the food because she's unhealthy she's severely overweight and it's unhealthy and 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 she knows it's a problem she knows that's how she medicates herself and so she's like starting to meet people maybe she hears somebody else who who navigated this journey and she goes okay I'm not going to look to food to be my savior I'm gonna I'm gonna trust that God is can lead me here and so maybe that maybe the food steps off and now she's steps through another door right so that's that's the process and then maybe God begins to talk to her just about, you know, her sexual life, right? And then that this she's having a hard time with. She's like, what, is this like a nun thing I need to be? What the heck's going on here? Right? But then she, so she goes and, and to church and they've never, they've never said anything before about it, but this day they do. And so she starts processing it. And then she realizes that most of the men she'd been with hadn't really loved her anyway. And so maybe God's way is better and because she's wondering if she's just got a disease that maybe an STD, she's just processing all this and so she's learning and hearing and she's wrestling through this door, honestly. And she, she knows what she's come from, but she's kind of wrestling with this door. She goes, oh my gosh. And the battle, honestly, the battle is in the door frames, right, because you see what's ahead of you. But the battle's in the door frames, so she's like, Aah! And so then maybe, yeah, okay, that one falls off. And now she's through another one. And then maybe, here's the thing. It's not always the big external things, right? And so maybe now she's having to acknowledge that she lies. And, she's, and she starts reading the Bible and learning about what truth really means and the power of our words. And so she gets a little confronted about that. So then she goes, okay, I'm, I'm gonna be a truth teller. So she steps through that door and you know drops that one off. And then maybe... You know, it's just gossip. Let me just tell you, in the Bible, gossip and sexual immorality in the same sentence, right? So they both have a weight to them. And so then maybe now she's really convicted because she realizes she just talks bad about people. To make herself feel better, she's just talking bad about people. And and so she's making this journey. Do I get through this? Oh, and so, but she, but man, it's so fun to gossip because then it makes me feel like I'm on the inside circle, right? And and so, but she's wrestling with this. and And, and so, okay, so then... Oh, but that one, nah, I don't know that was a good one. Right? This is the wrestle. Yeah. Do we trust God with it or not? Yeah. And then let me just say, this is not an overnight process here. Yeah. Sanctification is a lifetime. Yeah. A lifetime. And then she just has to deal with perhaps the unhealthy relationships in her life, so she's you know, dropping those off. We all have things that have done or that have been done to us and that we have done. Right and then maybe she gets challenged about forgiveness. Oof. So right she's right here and again unforgiveness will kill you. Maybe not as quickly as that needle in your arm. But it will kill you. I just recently read a book called The Choice, um, by uh, Evie Enger, something like that. She was a survivor of Auschwitz. And now she's a, psych- a psychotherapist, and she's amazing. But she tells this story of forgiving, wow. right, her torturers, and the ones who killed her family. So she tells that story, and so it's unforgiveness. So now here's our Sally, right, wrestling with perhaps the the people that hurt her or the people that still hurt her or the people that point we're wrestling. And honestly, this is perhaps where we all wrestle. If we are honest, we probably all have a little bit of this. This one on us. You know, she realizes, you know, Sally realizes she needs to let go of the anger. That's what that, that book I read, she had, that lady had to let go of the anger so she could find joy in today. But you know, sometimes the hardest person for me to forgive is Philip. And you know, he would say the same. It's, it's easier to forgive people who live way over there. Right? But the people in your home, the people you work with, they're in your space. And good Lord, we've had a year of being in each other's space. Right? And so sometimes it's the people that you live with that, may, that can be challenging, but that doesn't change the truth. Right? Forgiveness. You know, by yourself, you might think, I am a really forgiving, kind person. Hmm. Just get in community and let's see if that's true. Right? Because sanctification is worked out in community. It's worked out with people. Church is way more than an event. It's a community that helps us with this journey called sanctification. Right? And so we wrestle with this. And so Sally, here she is, and she finally makes the decision to forgive. Those who have hurt her, and that's a hard one because you start to think forgiveness means you're, you know, you're letting them off the hook. You're not letting them off the. hook. You're just off the hook now. God, can, it's all up to God here. Vengeance isn't yours or mine, right? And then maybe you know, maybe something else you just deal with. It's fear, fear, and you know, fear in all its forms has to be defeated. Fear of failure, fear of defeat, fear of the future, fear of what the world's gonna look like after COVID, fear of the unknown, fear of people, fear of death. Fear is debilitating. Mm -hmm. And fear will keep us from making the journey. Fear is the opposite of love. And it messes with our relationship with God. Fear will keep us from fulfilling purpose. And do you know what fear is the ultimate weapon of the enemy It's the ultimate weapon of the enemy because it will keep us from making this journey. And it must be conquered. Every hero of the Bible experienced fear. They encountered fear. And every one of them who praised God destroyed their fear when they lifted their hands and their voices to the great I am. So there will come a time on this journey when we're honest about our fear. And then maybe when... Worship, worship is what defeats the fear, right? So maybe this is when our worship starts to get really real. Maybe back here, it's just words and that's fine because it's a journey, right? But maybe here, when we're trying to defeat the fear, this is when we lift our hands and we worship God. You know, both Philip and I had to navigate cancer a few years ago. And I remember moments in our backyard, the only thing that defeated the fear was when I got back there and I lifted my hands and I worshiped my God. And that's part of the sanctification process. You know, another thing that perhaps we need to drop along the way is just comparison. The Bible calls it foolish. I call it stupid. Right? Right? It's just stupid to compare yourself. You know why? Because it's a slap in God's face. Because he made you magnificent. And then you're so busy comparing yourself to what someone else has or gets to do or who they are. It's foolish. And so maybe along the way, we have to drop off that comparison and start to love who he made us to be. And then also along the way, if we've seen that this year, we better drop bigotry. remember a message Philip taught a long time ago. He said, don't ask if you're prejudiced, but how prejudiced are you? And so along the way, you're going to get confronted with it, and we've been confronted with it, right, in the last few years. So you better drop it. Mm -hmm. So our Sally, she had to drop it. If you're going to make that journey, because the journey is to look like Jesus, you got to drop it. But you know what else happens along the sanctification journey? We do drop things. But then we also pick stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. We pick stuff up. See, sanctification is letting go and it's picking up Christ's nature. Yeah. All right, along the way, let's just say, Sally, you, me, she gets a few things. So maybe she actually experiences gen- money. All of a sudden now, she's got money. Ooh, this is a good test. Jesus taught more about finances than any other subject except the kingdom of God. More than pride, more than anger, more than love, more than prayer. He talked about shekels and talents and mammon and gold. Why? Why? Because in many ways, it is the number one rival for the human heart. There's a story in the Bible about a man named Zacchaeus. Some of you may know this story, and it's a story I remember from when I was a kid. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Anyway, so Jesus came to him and there was a large crowd gathering to hear Jesus. Now, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. I mean, just think of the sleaziest politician you can think of because this is how he was viewed. Tax collector was basically a legalized thief. And as he thrived, it was always at the expense of others. They were the victims. But this Zacchaeus, he had an encounter with Jesus. He stepped through the door. He had an encounter with Jesus. And then he said that, he he stepped through the door and he had wealth. And he said, I'm gonna give it. I will give half of my wealth to the poor and those who I've cheated get four times, I'll give four times back. See, something happened to him and his response was extreme generosity. And so what we do with our money is a part of this journey. Again, I'm not so sure God's gonna talk to you about it here but he will on the journey. Yes. What are you doing with your money? And then maybe, maybe on the journey you're trusted with a few minutes in the spotlight. You know, maybe you're trusted with it. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to go, it's all about me? God bless you, but it's all about me. Now that's kind of funny, but I, we got to take a look at our own hearts. It's like, well, what are we doing? Right, do... And listen, we're all going to have some level of fame. Maybe you're the best dog trainer in the world or the best singer or the the best chef or you get some fame in any of those areas. If we're not careful, if we don't somehow in the quiet places of our heart deflect it to him, then we'll implode and we won't make it on this journey. Our DNA is not designed for fame. Only he is supposed to be famous, not us. So along this journey, you will get some notoriety and it will. what are you going to do with it? It's a part of the sanctification process. And then, you know, along the way, maybe you get, you get married, maybe Sally gets married and has kids and let me tell you, there's nothing that reveals selfishness more than marriage and kids, <laughs> right? Because when you're single, you think, I'm good, I'm good, I got this. And then you get married, and you go, wait, wait, we have to talk about this? We have to come to an agreement about what we're going to do, where we're going to go. And then you finally get it sorted with the husband. And then you have kids. and You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. i got to get up <laughs> again, right? And I just think it's all a part of the sanctification process of getting rid of the selfishness in our lives. And then, you know, along the process, you're going to meet people. You're going to meet people, friends to fight for, friends who are struggling, friends who are hurting. And for a moment, you have to take your eyes off yourself. I didn't help someone else. And then along the way, God's going to talk to you and because he's talked to me about the words of our mouth. All right? Again, he's not going to deal with Sally when she's right here, but he will deal with her about the words of her mouth. Do you tell the truth? The real truth. I mean, is your word, like if you give someone your word, is it worth anything? Because that's what he's going to deal with. Are you honest? You know, on this sanctification journey, which is, it is a life long journey. You'll go through some hard times. Some devastating times. Some really painful times. We'll have to we'll have to deal with loss. Many of us, perhaps these last few years we've had to deal with loss. Can you trust God then? Can you stay on the journey then? And you know, sometimes on this journey we're actually trusted we're trusted with a battle. Right, We're on our journey and we're trusted with a battle. We're trusted with his word to fight the battles. And again, I think back here, it's very different, but there will come some battles down here that maybe we're trusted with loss. We're trusted with grief. We're trusted uh, just with relationships that everything gets tested. What do you do? What do you do? Do you let the spirit of God come alive in you and help you fight? Do you use his word to fight the battles or do you just sit down? I've done both. Honest. I've done both. There have been plenty of times when you just get through a door and you go, whoa, I'm done. All done. All done with this door. And you know what? I think sometimes that's okay. See, I think when you step through a door, I think God gives you a moment to go, whoa, I did it. Right, and you get through another one, yes. But then it won't be long before he starts talking to us about the next thing, because it's a journey. And I hope, I hope I, you know, my words, that God somehow, by his grace, that my words can inspire you and help you. But do you know what? These days, the days that we're trusted with now, you need to know how to lift your own sword. Yeah. I'm gonna encourage you and I'm gonna teach the word, but you need to know how to lift his sword. If we're gonna make it through the days and the time in history that we're trusted with so that we can finish this journey. And then, you know, along this journey, you're gonna be betrayed. Oof. How do you handle that? How do you handle that? Do you post unkind things? Do you just cancel them? Okay, this cancel culture, it's not a God thing. No, no. We're on a sanctification journey. We're on a journey to look like Jesus. He tells us to love our enemies. Love those who speak unkind of us. Again, he might not talk to it that about here, talk to us about that here, but he will down here. At door number 82, he's talking to you about that. Back to Philippians 1 6. I am convinced and confident of this very thing that he who began the good work in you will perfect it and complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. You can work because he's working. We're not robots. He doesn't force sanctification on us. He reveals his love to us. You can overcome that habit because God is working on your behalf. You can control your tongue because God is working both to will and to do good for his pleasure. Now, you know, for most of us, there would be a few habits, a few sins that we contend with over a long period of time, that we wrestle with. Maybe we beat it back. Maybe we get through that door, but then all of a sudden we find ourselves wrestling with that again. Even in his letter to the Romans, the apostle Paul wrote of his own journey. He, des- he describes being justified by faith right out, the, you know, before he walked in the door, dead to sin, Alive in Christ. And then he writes this in Romans 7. He says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. So let me tell you, you're not alone. If you've ever felt that on this journey of being made to look like Christ, you're not alone. So don't opt out of the faith journey. Yeah. Don't opt out of the sanctification journey just because you struggle. And yeah, you know what? The struggle is real, it's real. It is a lifelong process to become like Jesus. Don't quit in the middle of the process. Proverbs twenty four sixteen says, a righteous man, a righteous person falls seven times, but they get up. You just keep getting up and keep walking through the next door. God is not in a hurry. He's not. We are. He's not. He started the work in us. The countdown has begun. He started the work and he continues it. The moment The moment you became a child of God, you became a work in progress. And there is no question as to how it will turn out. He already knows. He began a work in you and there is a purpose. He's working in us to ultimately have his character, which is why we can't be in a hurry. You're making progress. People might look at you and see a mess, but God does not. God doesn't see you at the place you are now. He sees you at the place he's destined you to be. God called Jeremiah a prophet when Jeremiah was a baby and could hardly talk, a child. In fact, when God told Jeremiah he was a prophet, Jeremiah responded like, I think you missed it, God. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah 1, he said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Began the sanctification journey. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And then he says this, alas, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. Well, how come God said one thing? But Jeremiah said another. Well, because God was looking at Jeremiah's future and Jeremiah was looking at his present. God saw where Jeremiah was going and Jeremiah could only see where he was. God saw what Jeremiah was going to become and Jeremiah could only see what he was doing at the time. See, God doesn't just see you where you are now. He sees you as you're about to become. He doesn't see you at the place you are now. He sees you where he's purposed you to go. You're like a seed. See, a seed doesn't look anything like the fruit it's gonna produce and the tree that will come from that fruit. A seed looks nothing like that. So God began this good work, and it is a good work that started. He's molding in you. He's molding you, challenging you, forming you. You know, just, just like Sally. When I said yes to God, I gave up my rights. I died to myself, and I told God, you have control of my everything. And if that's true, then I have to let him continue to chisel and work in me, sometimes convict me, sometimes discipline me, but always loving me, always, and always using me how he sees fit. And the work that he started, back to that first verse I read, was in me right? I mean, it's so great when God doesn't work in other people. So great when God doesn't work in Philip, makes him way easier to live with, right? Or people in your world, right? But my focus has to be on the work God is doing in me. I've been a Christ follower for 45 years, at least. And over the years, he has continued to work in me. When I was not even 20, I thought it didn't even matter who I had sex with, but then I learned, because I stepped through the door, and I learned that my body is the temple, the very place where the Spirit of God lives. So it does matter. And then in my early 30s, if someone hurt my feelings, I would attack right back and then not speak to them for days. I could carry that for days. right? And now while I might feel hurt, I don't want to attack back and I'm so much quicker to forgive than I was before. He's worked in me. When I first started following him, I was pretty focused on making my name famous. And now I'm focused on making his name famous. He's worked in me. I used to just casually drop a few bucks in the offering, and then I realized actually all I have is now. All I have is his. So now I cheerfully go above and beyond, tithe and beyond. He has worked in me. Years ago, my counseling line to people used to be, can you just get over that? Yeah. And now I'm much more compassionate to the challenges people are facing. He has been working in me. When I was diagnosed with cancer, as I mentioned, I learned to trust and rely on him in a whole new way. He was working in me. And years ago, I would see the hurting and the poor and the marginalized and I would feel bad, but now I get my own hands dirty. He's worked in me. And here's a kicker. For those of us who have been on this journey for years, you know, maybe, maybe like me, you've been following Christ. You've been on this journey for years. You walked through that door decades ago and you're on this journey. And maybe now here you're at door number 96. It's a long time since you were at that door. We have to be very careful that when we get to you know, door number 96, that we don't look back and judge people. We don't start to say things like, maybe there's this somebody who's barely through the door, or not even, but barely through the door, and we look back at that person and go, why are you dressed like that? And is that is that weed I smell in your breast? And did you just drop an F bomb in church? What is wrong with you? Right? We forget. We forget who we used to be. So our job, those of us who have navigated the doors, is to actually do exactly what Paul says in Galatians 6. He says, brothers, sisters, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual, that is you who are responsive to the guidance of the Spirit, are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, not with a sense of superiority or self-righteousness, keeping a watch on yourself so that you're not tempted to as well. And here's something else I learned. Series of doors on this journey. And sometimes I I get excited about stuff. And so sometimes I'll get through a door, whatever the door is. And I'm like, I just learned something. And then I'll reach back and I'll go, you need to learn this too. Whack. And I just pull them through. And if when you start trying to pull people through the doors, all they're going to do is hit the door frames. Boom, 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 boom. Because it has to be the Spirit of God leading people. Your job is to demonstrate what Christ looks like and let the Holy Spirit lead people. You can't pull them through the doors no matter how exciting it is. You just live your life in such a way that they actually go, wow, there's such a change in you. What is that? That's that journey. If we do this, we can be confident. Just what I, how I started this whole message. We can be confident of this very thing. That he who began the good work in you, he will finish it. At the day of Christ Jesus, he will finish it. He will throw out the final pitch. He threw out the first one and he'll throw out the last one. Now I just want to close with this assurance from the book of Jude, his doxology, which simply means a blessing. And I just want to read this over you, declare this over you. You know, some of you, perhaps you, maybe you're watching and you're, you haven't even said yes to Jesus yet. You haven't even stepped through the door. Maybe you're here and you're wrestling with it and all the things, all the fears, all the hurts. Well, you know, you're welcome here and you are loved just where you are. We love you. God loves you. But we wanna encourage you to make that first step and receive the forgiveness and the peace that passes all understanding. Make that step. And then there are those of you who've been walking with Christ for a while, but maybe you still have a bunch of things stuck to you it's time to actually let the Spirit of God lead you. What is he talking to you about? Because this relationship is alive. Jude, verse 24. Now to him, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who is who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Let me read that again. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you at the end of this journey, faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. 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 Just keep going. Take the next step. What is in front of you? Just take the next step. We're cheering you on. We're with you. Listen, don't leave this message today, this service today, without engaging with someone, whether it's via text or phone call. I don't care how, but just what is God saying to you today? What is the next step for you? Father, I thank you so much for your word, which is so filled with grace and instruction and power. And God, I pray right now for everyone watching, for everyone, no matter where they are on this journey. And I I thank you, God, that you will equip them. And for those who haven't yet surrendered their heart and their life to the love of God, who haven't yet surrendered their heart to Jesus, I want you to do that today. You can You can know that you are forgiven. You can experience that peace. You can get that hope for a future. Make that decision today. And for those of you, maybe you're you're sitting down, right? I told you I've been there, sitting down between the doors on this journey. You got a little weary, and I understand these last few years have been really challenging. I'm asking you to get back up. Come on, one more time. You got this. We got you. Get back up one more time and begin to walk out this sanctification journey. What an amazing word that is. Set apart for a purpose. Walk out that journey. We're with you. Why don't you just let someone know that you're making that decision, whether it's in the chat or, again, text someone. Let somebody know that you're making this decision. I thank you, Father, for your presence, your healing, your wholeness, your courage for each one of us. And I thank you that together we're going to cross the finish line in here. Well done. Together. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I love you, family, and I can't wait to see your faces.